water, so my heart longeth after thee. Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles and turn, please, to Luke chapter 14. We'll be reading from the King James Version today, verses 16 through 30. And you've heard a lot of uh, uh, talk this week about the physical cliff. I announced a couple of weeks ago I was going to preach this message, and uh, toward the end of the week I got to be a little bit concerned because it looked like they might avoid the physical cliff. And I know even this afternoon they're going to get together in Washington to try to avoid the physical cliff, but uh, I'm just determined I'm not going off the cliff. Now, the rest of you can go off if you want to, uh, but I'm not going off the cliff, and I'm going to tell you how to keep from falling off a cliff this morning from a Bible point of view. Let's stand together as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. Reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, this is the Word of the Living God. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever ye have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian." And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him onto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, in the King James, it says the brow of the hill, but if you have the NIV, the NIV says cliff. Now, some of you say, well, why aren't you using the NIV? Well, I'm concerned about the NIV. Several years ago, they revised the NIV, and uh, they put another letter. It was something else besides the NIV. It was NIRV or something like that, and they made some changes, and they tried to slip it in, and a lot of preachers uh, didn't accept it. I was one of them, and Uh, spoke out against it. Now, it wasn't because I said anything against it, but they did listen to some of the other preachers. And so uh, that was just a version you could buy. But then in 2010 and 2011, the people that own the copyright to the NIV decided they would change some things in the NIV. They would change some of the 
uh, gender sayings where it says where Christ died for all men, it would be Christ died for all people. That didn't bother me. But what does bother me is when you start changing things, they might change things that might not go noticed by a lot of people. And some of the things they changed bothered me. And I thought they'd continue to make the 1984 version available, but they didn't. They quit printing it, so now the only version you can get, unless it's an old version, are those that were printed since 2010. So uh, I, I did not leave the NIV. They left me. I want you to understand that. Now, if you have a 1984 NIV, then read that devotionally. But if you have a 2010 or 2011 or later version, you need to watch it very carefully. That's why I'm not using it when I preach. Uh, I, I just don't feel comfortable doing that anymore because not everybody has the same 1984 version I do. But you can't go wrong with the King James anyway. I love it. I did change a few of the words. You noticed I did not use the King James pronunciation of the prophets uh, because I didn't want you to be confused about who those prophets were. That could be very confusing because those were the old English pronunciations. But I, I love uh, the idea of the people trying to throw Jesus off a cliff. You're talking about people getting mad at you, Donnie. Even people the day they booed me here did not try to throw me off a cliff. They were very kind. Uh, they did. I, you say, did you get booed? Yes, I did. I put my foot in my mouth one time and got booed on Easter Sunday. And you say, what did you say? I will not say what I said ever again. Whatever it was, I don't like being booed. I shouldn't have said it. It was one of those things that was kind of an aside. And my wife said, if you quit chasing rabbits, you wouldn't get booed in your own pulpit on Easter Sunday. So no more chasing rabbits about that anyway. But uh, they, these people got so mad at Jesus, they literally wanted to throw him off a cliff. And so uh, he was in danger of going off a cliff. Now, they say we're in danger of going off a cliff as a country. In fact, I wanted to have some quotes today. So I, I took a quote from the left and a quote from the right. Uh, the person I chose from the right is uh, an actor that I admire his acting work. I'm not so sure about his language all the time. I can say that I admire it. But uh, here's what Clint Eastwood said. He said, even people on the liberal side are starting to worry about going off a physical cliff. And then to get somebody from the other side, I chose our president, President Obama. He said, I don't care whether you're driving a hybrid or an SUV. If you're heading for a cliff, you have to change directions. Now, that is wise. If you're heading for a cliff, you don't want to go off a cliff, change directions. Well, I decided to be fair, I would put a spiritual person in there. Not saying that Clint Eastwood's not spiritual. Not saying that President Obama is not spiritual. But neither one of them are as spiritual as this person. Because it was the Lord Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, follow me. And that's exactly what I want to encourage you to do today. I am not worried about the cliff. Uh, I, I'm not worried about the financial cliff. I know what it stands for. I know that they're saying now that uh, what happens at midnight on uh, December 31st is that uh, the new taxes to enforce Obamacare goes in and all the tax uh, cuts that were put in by the Bush administration, which have been uh, continued for the last four years, are going to expire, and that come January 1st, the average American family can expect a $3,000 to $4,000 uh, increase in their taxes unless something is done to change that. Well, I want to tell you, uh, I'm not going off a cliff for three or $4,000. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to fall off a cliff. If I have to quit eating out, if I have to... Uh, uh, quit taking the newspaper. If I have to uh, do away with some things that I'd like to do, I'm just not going off a physical cliff. Now, the government can go off a physical cliff. You say, aren't you worried about that? The government is not my provider. 
Uh, I changed my mind a long time ago. I wanted my provider not to have a national debt. God doesn't owe anybody anything. And God liberally gives to people air every day and sunshine and rain when we need it. Uh, sometimes he gives us rain when we don't want it, but we need it. Uh, sometimes we have snow and ice and things like that. But God is my source. David said it this way. David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You say, well, you sound pretty confident, preacher. Uh, you must think a lot of yourself. No, I don't. I am a sinner saved by grace. I deserve to go to hell. But Jesus died on the cross for me and for all you other sinners as well. And if you trust in him, you don't have to go to hell. But not only does he save you from hell, he will save you from financial ruin if you'll follow his teachings. We're going to be doing that in 2013. In fact, we started doing that several years ago when the economy started to go bad. But in this story today, Jesus was going to be thrown off a cliff. Notice one way to avoid falling off a cliff is to avoid cliffs. If you don't want to fall off a cliff, just don't go to a cliff. Now, I have not climbed a whole lot of cliffs. Uh, Donnie, I don't know if I've ever told you this or not, but when I was young and strong, I climbed to Straggler's Point at Cook Springs. And uh, you say, what's Straggler's Point? Well, it's a mountain in St. Clair County, and you see it, it doesn't really look like much of a climb. What you don't see is there's a hill, and then there's a valley, and then you go back up the next hill, and at the top of that second hill, is Straggler's Point. Well, I made it to the top of the first hill, fine. It was just a little path up there. And I said, okay, this is Straggler's Point. They said, no, preacher, that is Straggler's Point. And I said, how do you get there? And they said, well, there's a little goat path here that you have to go up. And I want to tell you, even a goat would have had a hard time going up. But I finally made it to the top, and, and I stood there, and it was a beautiful view. And uh, that was many years ago. And if I had to go to Straggler's Point now, I would hire a helicopter and let them put me down on the top of Stragglers Point. Uh, but what a view we had there. What a view we had when we went to the Grand Canyon. Someone has built a plexiglass bridge over the Grand Canyon. Now I want to tell you, I love sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon. There's a rock ledge there. It's got a nice concrete top. And Mary and I sat down and we dangled our legs off on the side. And you said, weren't you afraid of falling off? Not really, because I was about four or five feet from the edge anyway. Uh, they put that nice uh, place you can sit four or five feet from the edge. And we sat there and watched uh, an absolutely gorgeous sunset. Paul and Barbara were there and Skip and Jeannie Parvin were there. And, and it was one of the most absolutely beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. My wife and I love sunsets. And I sat there and we held hands. We literally wept as the sun went down over the Grand Canyon, watching that sun shine into those uh, canyons and crevices and all those places that God made with his finger or with the voice of uh, the word of his voice just saying, uh, uh, let the dry land be separate from the, from the water. It was a marvelous sight. It, it, I've been to the Smoky Mountains, and it's a wonderful thing to, to go up there. I went to a place in North Carolina where Jake and Sarah live, and there's a beautiful view. You can see about 30 or 40 mountain peaks from that. If you avoid cliffs, you're going to miss a lot of beautiful things. And also, if you avoid cliffs, you may miss a meaningful experience with God. In fact, we talk about meaningful experiences with God as what? Mountaintop experiences. Moses had a great mountaintop experience. By the way, if you watch the program on Friday night with Christiane Amanpour, let me remind you that is produced by the news media. And the news media is not very conservative. And especially when they showed the Reed Sea, and they said this is probably where the children of Israel crossed, and it's really like a marshy area. 
Uh, what they didn't take the trouble to explain to you is how in the world uh, all the Egyptians could have drowned in a marsh. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever drowned in a marsh when the water's only about knee deep. Uh, they didn't explain that. The reason they didn't explain it is because it wasn't a marsh sea. It was the Red Sea, and it parted, and there was a wall of water on each side, and the Bible says they walked through on dry land. You say, preacher, do you believe that? I believe that when the people walked through, that when their sandals hit the bed of that uh, Red Sea, dust flew up. I believe that's how dry the ground was. That's what the Bible says. It was dry ground. Beloved, you, you say, well, preacher, that doesn't make sense. Listen, if you just depend on what God says he does to make sense, you're never going to be saved. Why would God love somebody like me? Why would God love somebody like you? Doesn't make sense. Why would his son die for us? Doesn't make sense. Everything God does doesn't have to make sense because God is wiser than we are. And God could dry up a sea anytime he wants to. I want to tell you, God would have no problem calming a storm today. He is the master of the sea. But you're going to miss a lot of wonderful experiences. And then think about Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And, and I know he was kind of on the lower slope of the Mount of Olives, but uh, we ran into a friend the other night, Miss Nancy Janeri, and uh, she was telling us she had spent over 30 days last year in Israel. And she was talking about all the wonderful places she went, and all the experiences she had. And one of the greatest prayer experiences I've ever had was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the very garden where, I don't know if it was a very tree where Jesus prayed, I'm not saying it was that, but it's on the side of the Mount of Olives. If you stay off mountaintops, not only will you miss some beautiful sights, but you may miss some meaningful encounters with God. Don't avoid a cliff in that way. But now, the best way to avoid falling off a cliff is to follow Jesus. And, and we can follow him a lot of ways. First of all, in this passage, he tells us we can follow him in Scripture. I love this story because it said that Jesus, after beginning his ministry, after calling his disciples, had returned back to his hometown, Nazareth. Now, you know a lot about Jesus. You know he was born in Bethlehem. You know he moved to Egypt for a while, and then he came back to Nazareth to grow up in Nazareth. And then when he was 12, he went to Jerusalem where he confounded the elders in the temple. And you remember the story that Mary and Jesus left him in Jerusalem and they traveled a day's journey. Then they found out he wasn't there. So they had to travel a day's journey back to find him. They looked for him for three days and guess where they found him? Right where they left him in the temple, right where he had been all that time. But I want to tell you this about Jesus. Jesus believed in meeting with God's people to worship. He went to the temple in Jerusalem, and the Bible says, as his custom was. Notice that in verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, that phrase right there means that when Jesus was in Nazareth and it was on the Sabbath, he went to God's house to worship God. He was God in human flesh. He didn't, he was God. He could fellowship with himself and fellowship with God. But he made it a point when he was in his hometown, he went to the synagogue. Some people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you really don't. As far as I know, the thief on the cross never went to church. But I tell you this, he would have if he'd lived. Man, when you meet Jesus, you want to be with other people who love Jesus. And you want to be in what Jesus loved. And the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I'm not one of these preachers that say, oh, give me Jesus, but don't give me the church. Listen, there is no perfect church in this world. This church is certainly not perfect. There's no perfect. In fact, I want us to work on some things in 2013. I want us to be an over-friendly 
church. I mean, when people come in here, I want them to say, man, I, man, my arm is tired. So many people shook my hand. So many people hugged my neck. That's the friendliest bunch. What's wrong with those people? They don't act like regular people. Regular people just stare at you and look at you funny. When these people, when you come to their church, they act like you're glad they're there. Listen, I'm, I am right now deputizing every one of you to be a friendly greeter this week. Say, I'm not even a member. Well, guess what? You just got deputized, buster. You come in here and listen to me preach, I deputize you. When you leave out of here, I want you to find somebody you don't know and say, man, it's good to see you. And if they say, I've been going to this church 30 years, you say, I'm doing what Brother Mike told me to do. Leave me alone. I'm being friendly. Leave me alone. Don't do it that way. That was a joke. But be friendly. I want us to be, you know why? Because have you ever noticed how people look at each other? Really? I, I go to Walmart. It takes me about an hour to buy three things at Walmart. You say, is that because you're so cheap? You look, no, I'm looking at people. I'm just, I'm just looking at people. You know, but you know, when I look at people, I want to know I care for them. I'm not just looking at them and say, I don't believe I'd wear that dress. Now, some of you ladies might look, I don't believe I'd wear that dress. Well, don't wear it then, okay? That may be the best dress that poor lady has. You look at somebody and say, that's a soul for whom Jesus died. And if they're saved, that's my brother or my sister. Man, I tell you, I want us to be overly friendly. I want people to say, that is not just the friendliest church in Shelby County. That's the friendliest church in the world. Now, I want to tell you, it won't happen with just me doing it. It won't happen with just the ushers and the greeters and the Sunday school teachers and the deacons and the choir. Everybody has to do that. You know why? It's important when people come to church, they feel like we're glad they're here. Jesus went to the synagogue. That was his custom. We can follow him in scripture. And then he read the scripture. He got up to read the scripture. This is why we stand. We read scripture. Notice he said he took the scripture from the minister and stood up to read it. That's the way Jesus did things. When he went to the synagogue, he took the scripture, stood up and read it, handed it back to the minister and then sit down. And then he began to teach. And these were the first words out of his mouth. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, I want to tell you, I thought this message might be prophetic, but it's not nearly as prophetic as that message was. Because what Jesus is saying is, Isaiah told you I was coming, and I'm here right now. I want to tell you the good thing. He's here right now. Amen. Because he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. So I promise you, the same Jesus that was in the synagogue and Nazareth that day is right here among us today. He's here. And he knows you and he cares for you. And you may think, I'm at the end of my rope. Well, guess what? Jesus is hanging on the end of that rope with you. And he wants to see you through it. So we can follow him in Scripture. We can follow him in surrender. And that's what verse 21 really means. He said, I have come to do the will of God. And by the way, sometimes when you do the will of God, everybody's not happy about it. Sometimes you have to displease people to do the will of God. Jesus didn't always do what people wanted him to do. And it did something everywhere he went. He did myriads of miracles. But when he came to his hometown and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he sat down and he said, he sat, and he listened and he started to teach the people. And the more he taught, the madder they got. Now, I hope you don't get mad at me today. But if you get mad because I tell you the truth of scripture, you can just stay mad at me because I'm going to tell you the truth of Scripture. I'm not going to compromise the truth of Scripture. And that's what Jesus did. 
You see, they were upset, and they started thinking, huh, this is Joseph's son. You know what that meant, don't you? They were saying, oh, yeah, he's Joseph's son. They knew the rumor that Jesus was the son of Mary and a Roman soldier. They heard that rumor. Or they thought, well, this is Joseph's son. Joseph and Mary violated their marriage contract and came together before they were supposed to, and Mary got pregnant. No, that didn't happen. Jesus is the son of God. What he's saying here is true. He's fulfilling that scripture. And so they're getting upset. And so then he says, okay. He said, here's what I, and he said, some of y'all want me to, to do here what I did in other places. And he uses two biblical examples. He said, in the days of Elijah. Well, we sing that song, don't we? These are the days of Elijah. Well, he goes back to the days of Elijah. And he said, you remember the story of Elijah, how on Mount Carmel, he defeated the prophets of Baal by calling on the Lord and the Lord answered by fire. And, and Jezebel said she was going to kill him. And he ran off and he hid in a, under a juniper tree and God provided him with food and water. The ravens brought him food and a little branch, even though it hadn't rained for three and a half years, gave him water. And then one day the branch dried up and God said, okay, it's time to move on. He said, go over here to Sidon. Now what is Sidon? It was Israel's worst enemy in those days. It was their arch enemy. And God sent his own prophet over to Sidon. And in Sidon, there was a widow and the widow saw the prophet and he said, take me to your house and make me something to eat. And she said, all I have is a little oil and a little flour, and I'm going to make my son and I a cake, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die because we're going to starve to death. And Elijah said, no, take me home and feed me. Now, I'm sure that made her happy. Take me home and feed me. All I got is one thing for one cake. But you know what? She did. She, this, this Gentile woman took the prophet of God to her house and fed him. And guess what? God blessed her house. And she and her son ate all during the famine for what she'd done to the prophet. So Jesus reminded them of the widow of Sidon in the days of Elijah. And then he really whipped them up. He said, in the days of Elisha, the prophet, there was a man who came from Syria named Naaman. In fact, the Bible says Naaman was captain of the hosts of Syria. Naaman would be like the Norman Schwarzkopf of Syria. He had been the leader of the armies of Syria, mighty, the mightiest. They were a world power and the enemy of Israel. And yet when Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria, had leprosy, a little maiden in his house said, there's a prophet in Israel who can tell you how to be cured. And he traveled to Israel. Can't you imagine? Here's this, this uh, military entourage that comes driving down the road. Just imagine the chariots and all the outriders and they come down, there's this little humble house there where Elisha lives and, and uh, uh, Elisha sends his servant out to talk to him and, and they said, well, my, my master wants to be healed of leprosy. And Elisha's servant comes in and says, there's a guy from Syria out here whose name when he's a leper, he wants to be healed. And Elisha said, well, tell him I said to go dip seven times in the Jordan. I want to explain to you something. Uh, the Jordan is not like the Mississippi. The Jordan is not even like the Tennessee Tom Bigby. The Jordan, in reality, is like Buck Creek. If you've seen Buck Creek, you've seen the Jordan River. Sometimes Buck Creek is green. Sometimes the Jordan River is green and slimy looking. And here was the captain of the host of Syria, and the prophet didn't even come out. He said, tell him to do this. And he, you know what? That, he, his pride welled up in him. Now, there's a lesson here. 
Sometimes God can't bless you because your pride wells up, okay? The Bible says we need to humble ourselves. You're going to fall off a cliff if you're filled with pride. Pride will go off a cliff. Humility won't. And he sent a message to him, said, go dip seven times in the Jordan. Seven times. And the old king said, I'm not, the general said, I'm not going to do that. While we have the Abana and the far, far rivers there where I come from and said, they're, they're mighty rivers. Why would I dip in an old muddy river like the Jordan? And he started heading back down the road, still a leper. And finally, somebody said, hey, if he had told you to do something great, you'd have done it. Why don't you do what he said? So guess what he did? He turned his chariot around, drove back down to the Jordan and got himself out and went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River. Now somebody will hear that story and say, wait a minute, we need to baptize people seven times. Listen, let scripture interpret scripture. If you're a leper, we'll baptize you seven times, all right? If you're not a leper, you can just be baptized once. But he baptized himself seven times in the Jordan. Every time he'd come up, he'd look at his arm, still leprous. Six times came up, still leprous. He said, I'm going down one time. This hadn't worked yet. He went down that seventh time and came up. And the Bible says his skin was like the skin of a newborn baby. No sign of leprosy. You say, who did that? Did the prophet do that? No, God did that. And let me tell you, the same God that cured Naaman's leprosy will take care of his people even if the country goes off the physical cliff. All right? Because you, your, your security better not come from Washington. Your security better not come from your retirement plan. Your security better come from the living God because he will stand when all the earth falls, he will stand. You can follow Jesus in scripture. You can follow him in surrender. You can follow him in service, helping people. And then you can follow him in safety. By the way, here's why John MacArthur said they got mad. He said, there's only one reason why people who know the truth of Jesus don't believe. It is because they do not see themselves as the poor prisoners, blind and oppressed. Do you see that? Because you can't be saved if you don't. God offers nothing to people who are content with their own condition except judgment. You see, you can know you're a sinner and know that you violated God's law and yet say, well, I'm just as good as these other sinners, and you are. You are. You deserve hell as much as everybody else does. But guess what? You don't go to hell because you get what you deserve. You go to hell because you ignored what God wanted to give you. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. And to get it, you have to be willing to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when you see yourself as blind and poor and needy, that's why I love that song. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, lost and lonely, weak and sore. I hope you've seen yourself in that. But then the last thing, and it's really found in that last verse. You can follow him in safety. I want you to, to take your pen if you've got a pen with you. And on that bulletin there, you can do it in your Bible if you want to, but do it on that bulletin. I, I want you to notice the last phrase there. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. I want you to take your pencil or pen and underline passing. Passing. 
And then I want you to underline midst. And then I want you to underline went. And then I want you to circle those last two words, his way. There's the secret right there. He passing through the midst. Why, how did Jesus escape from this? Now, this is a mob. They want to kill him. They want to throw him off the cliff. How many people were there? However many people were in the synagogue. And all of a sudden, they changed from a group of worshipers to a group of people who wanted to murder a boy who grew up, a young man who grew up in their own synagogue. And notice what he did. He just turned and went through them. You know what that is? He exerted his will. Now, let me say this. Every one of us has a will. The word will has a lot of meanings. If you draw up a will, it tells you who you're going to leave your stuff to, and y'all, everybody needs a will. But then the other word will means determination. And the Bible says he passing through them. Why? He willed to go through them. He just said, I'm not supposed to die by being thrown off a cliff. I know how I'm going to die. I'm going to die on a cross for the sins of humanity. And if I were to be thrown off a cliff, then I couldn't die on the cross. And so he just simply, he didn't strike anybody. He didn't shove anybody. He didn't act like Rambo and take them out. He acted like Jesus. He just simply passed through the midst of them. Notice that. He just turned and walked through the, listen, I want to tell you, there's a great secret here, but it's a secret to walking in God's will. It's your will to walk in God's will, and you can pass through anything if your will is yielded to God's will, and you can walk through anything that comes before you. He said, God doesn't want me to go off that cliff. My father wouldn't be glorified in me going off the cliff. I'm just not going. And then notice the word went. That little word in, in the King James Version literally means, it's an imperfect uh, tense in the Greek. It literally means he kept going on. The word went there literally means kept going on. Now get this, kept going on what? His way. Those last two words, his way. You see, Jesus knew he had a date with death, but it wasn't on a cliff, it was on a cross. And he was determined that, he was not going to dodge the cross by going off the cliff. There were other times, I think, when the devil tried to kill Jesus. I think the devil tried to kill Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood. Nobody has ever done that and survived. Usually that precedes a cerebral hemorrhage. It has happened. There's a medical term for it. But almost without exception, every case I've ever heard of, a person who starts sweating drops of blood is going to die momentarily from a cerebral hemorrhage. Jesus did not die of a cerebral hemorrhage. Angels came and ministered to him. He went to the cross. He didn't go off the cliff. Now here's the message today. I'm not worried about the physical cliff because I'm not worried about what happens in Washington determining my future. Oh, I'm going to vote and I'm going to express my opinion but I'm going to live my life walking in the footsteps of my Savior, believing in him to supply my every need, believing that if I'm willing to give him my life, my soul, my all, he has an obligation to provide for me his child as long as I'm walking in his way. You see, my, my decision has to be, am I going to walk in his way or not? And that's your decision today. 
Are you going to walk his way or not? Some of you need to be saved today. Some of you need to join the church. Some of you need a church home. Some of you may just want to come to the altar. Are you walking his way? If you're walking his way, you don't have to worry about the cliff. He didn't go off the cliff, and he won't allow you to go off the cliff when you're walking in his way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that when the world is in turmoil, your children can be at peace. And Father, I pray today that during this invitation time, if there are those here who are concerned, they're worried, they're, they're, they're fretting about tomorrow, Lord, I pray they'd settle that once and for all, that they would learn that when you walk with Jesus, he leads you, he guides you, he provides for you, and he tells you that you will pass over to the other side safely. There may be storms and, and there may be trials and tribulations, but he's already told us he's overcome the world. Father, help us to have that kind of faith in him, that nothing would deter us. What we see ahead of us, what we've seen behind us, Lord, nothing would deter us from walking in his way for all the rest of our days. In Jesus' name I pray.